Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. And folks that live on the Kenai Peninsula, check your inboxes. HEA has delivered to you their... uh, voting online which is i think is a new procedure for them and i got mine it didn't show up to my junk mail it went right to my inbox then we had brad the uh, general manager of hea on a couple days ago to talk about some of the things that they're doing and so i just want to remind folks that if you live on the kenai peninsula and you receive electricity through hea uh, check your inbox because you can vote on a board member and there's a couple amendments to the bylaws that they're doing some pretty low-key kind of housekeeping things and then there's a question at the bottom there that asks you if you are okay with voting online from here on out or do you still want paper ballots i i believe you can still get a paper ballot but make sure to check your inbox it's very important um and it's a sunny day in alaska at least here on the kenai peninsula and i will take it i want that sun to melt the two feet of snow stick it around my house which is super annoying um We have a very uh, special guest today on, um, he comes back, I think this is your third time, Scott Kendall, who's been the former chief of staff for Governor Walker. He was um, one of the uh, main uh, legal counsels for Lisa Murkowski back in the day. He he spearheaded um, ranked choice voting and a a Bristol Bay ballot initiative. And uh, he's had quite success here being the king of the middle. Scott Kendall, welcome to the Mustard Alaska show. Oh, thanks, John. Appreciate it. Appreciate the intro. I don't know if I'm the king of anything, but uh, I'll I'll take it. <laughs> well, I uh, I oftentimes joke about you know my Republican friends and I will get together and man, why can't we just pull off some victories? And and we always joke around. Well, we we, we don't have a Scott Kendall out there. It's like you're like the Energizer Bunny, and uh, you know you probably do all this in your spare time. So. Uh, kudos to you. I think it's important to be involved and you're super involved, whether we're on the same uh, side of an issue or not. It's it's still important to be very involved and in, in you are. So um, I wanted to start out by just asking you to tell us a story. When you were chief of staff for Governor Walker, give us a story. Tell tell us a, you know, a, a kind of behind the scenes uh, story that maybe we didn't hear in the press or the you know reading online or on Facebook. Give us a story of your time with Governor Walker when you were chief of staff. Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, so much a story, but like a series of anecdotes, Um, because we had a joke, you know, he had his he had his critics, you know, as any politician does, as the current governor does. Um, But the thing about him, we we sort of had a joke internally about how hard he works, how much he works. Um, And it was, you know, it was it was literally no joke. Um, You know, I, I loved working with Bill but he worked so many hours a day that your worst nightmare was to end up traveling with him because then you were with him <laughs> and you'd be up till 1130 midnight, you know, talking about, um, you know, like we have a trip to DC, we're meeting with Trump administration folks. We've got a full agenda. Well, let's, let's plan the next day. We're up till midnight planning the next day. 
And then he's like, okay, well, let's, let's meet for breakfast at 5.00 AM. Let, you know, let's go. We got to, we got to plan out the day again. Um, you know, so many times, you, you know, I'd be putting my kids to bed and I'd be replying to emails, trying to reply to every email every day. It's midnight. I'd reply to some email from him. He'd reply back immediately. You know, it's 1230 at night. And then, you know, get up in the morning and you've got emails from him at 5 a.m. I don't think I ever, you know, and I grew up on a farm. I'm hard. You know, I, I work 12 hours a day. I never got to the office before him. And I don't think I, he ever, you know, I don't think I ever left it after him. You know, at best, I could hang until he went. So, um, you know, whatever you think of these folks, and I think this go this rings true for a lot of people, regardless of politics. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think I did the math one day, and I pointed out to him that he might be working for minimum wage. You know, if you're going to put in a hundred hours in all a week, the hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it goes back to your comments at the start. It's important to be involved. It's important to find spaces in your life to be involved in civic life. And boy, if there is a, I'm not sure if I aspire to be him or I'm just sort of in awe of that. Um, you know, yeah. A man who the, is... only, the, the only Walker story that I have is when I was chief of staff for the borough, we had a problem. I, it was, you know, like every borough has, you know, a million problems. And sometimes it's tough to navigate the government waters, especially when I was new, I had no idea how anything worked really. Um, I was just, um, you know, new on the job, basically. And and Walker was speak. Governor Walker at the time was speaking at some chamber conference. And I had just a heck of a time trying to solve an issue that we had with the state, the borough. And I came up to the governor and shared with him the issue. And he slipped me a little um, handwritten piece of paper that had his kind of um, direct to him email address on it. He said, just email me and we'll take care of it. And I was like, you know, okay, whatever. He's, you know, he's probably just saying that. So it was late at night, I don't know, 10, 1030 at night. And I thought, well, I'll just email him, you know, I'm going to email him now because I don't want to forget tomorrow. Tomorrow's nuts. And you know how it is your day gets packed very quickly. And I e shot off an email at like 1030. And literally like 1035, he responds to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, I don't know how many times, um, you know, another great example is, you know, we go to Golkana, you know, for for a meeting out there with tribal leaders. There's the whole issue with the um, the um, the access to the longstanding trail. And so we're, you know, we're going there for, you know, what's going to be a tense and important meeting. And they're holding it at the local gym and we get there and, you know, people are still setting up. So I turn around, I turn back and, you know, there goes Governor Walker with a broom and, or a mop. You know, he's sweeping up. He's getting literally ready. sweeping up the floors. Yeah, he's sweeping the floor. So, you know, boy, you know, I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to start moving tables around in chairs because I can't let the boss show me up. So that exactly what you're talking about. It's the same thing. You know, nothing too big, nothing too little. Um, you know, just, you know, no one agrees with, you know, he was my boss. I didn't agree with every decision he made, yeah. but the the sort of attention and empathy that he gave every decision didn't matter who you were if you asked for a meeting you got the meeting i think that was you know that was a pretty cool aspect of the way he did things nice well i appreciate you sharing that with us so let's talk a little bit about this year's um house senate and or alaska house and alaska senate there is talks of sales tax there's talks of a small income tax there's proposals from both sides of the aisle republican democrat even um, the governor, what are your thoughts on these kind of tax talks and, and, and 
is there one that that you like or do you prefer none of them um you know that first of all you know to everyone who's talking you know having been out there and 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 gotten some rocks thrown at us you know hats off to them for having the discussion because at some point you know acknowledging the math and saying you know dollars in have to equal dollars out that's a big step because that's something legislators and others have kind of been unwilling to do you know we sort of got that view um early in the governor's first term where he said well this is what we got to cut to get to these full dividends we want the budget to balance and of course the reaction to that was the reaction to that but now it seems like some kind of honest conversation is happening and i i would just say hats off to them for that i'm um you know a lot of people are like ah it's got to be a progressive income tax or it's got to be a sales tax only or sales taxes belong to local communities hey it's got to be something right we got to we got to start diversifying the revenue stream so we're not constantly dependent on one commodity you know we were dependent you know with the permanent fund now we've diversified a bit we've taken that first step but to you know balance our budget essentially from one year to the next on a commodity that's very volatile you know that's not the industry's fault that's not our fault but oil goes up oil goes down we saw that last year you know we saw you know basically they had a license to print money for a minute we had very very large dividends and now we got a half a billion dollar deficit you we know, also had big and then they did a lot of big capital projects that they've been holding off on for a long time yeah and and and, and you know we all tell ourselves i you know i didn't get to be chief of staff when we had that kind of money it would have been kind of a fun thought exercise but everyone does kind of lose their minds a little when that money just starts flowing yeah it is kind of funny it's you know i remember i don't know it was just last year i guess this happened you know the most conservative folks in the room were asking for the biggest capital projects in the room right yeah and you know you know i I was a long-time republican and i was kind of that classic fiscal conservative republican like hey whatever you do your math's got to work and you know it's understandable but i will say this about where they're at whether some sort of income-based tax, whether a sales tax, I want them to be smart with it. Um, you know, I think they're due, you know, for obvious reasons, I think there need to be certain exemptions. No one wants to see people get, you know, struggling with high food prices, getting hammered harder. No one wants to see the cost of living be super high and tax things like rent or childcare. I think we got to be smart. What I'd like to see, um, you know, with an income tax, the attraction, of course, is there's out-of-state workers and we're we're clawing back some of that, you know, those taxes they might even be paying to their home state. Um, with the sales tax, I'd like to see exemptions, sure. I'd like to see some seasonality. You know, there's nothing more Alaskan than saying, you know, let's stick it to the other guys. So I'd love to see something that's like a, you know, a 2%, you know, from October through May and then in, in the summer months, make it 4%. We can all spend our PFDs, you know, when the tax comes back down, but put it out there um, so that, you know, we get millions of visitors. Let's see them pay for some of the sidewalks and roads they're using. So, yeah, we have some we have some um, incorporated towns or cities, whatever the correct terminology is in the Kenai borough where they have like a three percent sales tax in the summer and basically nothing in the winter. Um, Yeah. Or they tax, you know um so one of them in the borough used to tax food i don't believe we tax food anymore um but you know there's uh, a laundry list of different avenues you could go down i think the what i hear from folks from the you know extreme fiscal conservative side which i would say i put myself in that bucket is have we really 
cut all that we can because, you know, how I look at it is that, um, you know, there's always going to be stuff we can be more efficient at and have we really looked under every single nook and cranny. I don't believe we have, but I also know that it's almost impossible to do because we saw the governor try to do that early, early on in his first term and it's pushback central. I mean, you might as well think people are in their basements killing kittens or something. I mean, people just went nuts. And so I don't know where that happy medium is, uh, but I do know that folks in Juno can, Republicans and Democrats are, you know, potentially trying to find that. I just, I worry about, uh, you know, this getting politicized and, you know, people are going to lose elections potentially because of this, but I guess they're willing to do, to do that for um, what they see as um, long-term plans. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a matter of scale and scope too. Like you can find those efficiencies, but compared to the elephant in the room, you know, the sheer size of the expenditure for the dividend, it's such a rounding error that I think you start to lose the will. I do think, you know, a, a complete package could be something with a more meaningful spending cap revenue, you know, put all those pieces together. And that's what some of the discussions are. And then earn your way up to a larger dividend. Maybe that's the answer, but it's, you know, it's tough because I could, I could point at a dozen things that I think we could cut, reduce at the same time. Is it, difficult and heartbreaking to know, you know, that every abused woman doesn't have a shelter to go to, that, you know, victims of domestic violence don't necessarily have immediate legal help. Those are, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know anyone, Republican, Democrat alike, who thinks those aren't worthy things to do. Yeah. So there are things, you know, we can, we can work and relative on. to the budget. That's minuscule amounts of money. Right. Right. It, and so it's, you know, it's sort of moving those big rocks. So I wish them luck. I think they do have to take some care and exemptions. They do have to take a hard look at how, you know, how it will impact rural Alaska and whether the economies of scale are such that maybe we should exempt certain regions. But, you know, those are details that aren't going to affect the bottom line so much. It's just it's important to try to have some sense of fairness in it. So let's let's uh, turn the page here. Energy in Alaska. I think, you know, I had Representative Rauscher on Last week, he chairs the energy on the House side and uh, had Lieutenant Governor on soon after that and had the general manager of HEA. We're all talking about energy and holy crap, what if, you know, they don't renew a contract here, like just on the Kenai Peninsula with their natural gas or what if we, you know, with under Biden, we stop exploring and we got to have, you know, other ways of getting energy. Well, Senator Murkowski and Sullivan champion this small nuclear power plant project. Do you think that this is going to be a game changer for Alaska long term? Um, these small, you know, football size nuclear plants compared to the huge ones that, you know, maybe people have seen that are on the East Coast, you know, could power a city. Um, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, it's important to kind of put the, the, the rhetoric aside because I do, you know, I see very progressive people who are absolutely hammering Biden for approving Willow, for reapproving the LNG pipeline, you know, at some point they have to have some acknowledgement of, you know, transitions don't happen overnight because if they do, we'll have famine, we'll have war. We can't do that. And they also have to understand and appreciate that, like, you know, Willow is a, it is an efficient, low carbon 
um, oil project. So to the extent, you know, the, the 200,000 barrels um, are going to be pumped, these, these barrels are going to be much more efficient than Russian oil, than oh, yeah. tar sands out of Canada. So we're reducing, you know, you can actually be reducing the carbon footprint and, and more so for LNG. If LNG displaces some coal plants in China, so much the better. So that's, that's sort of the preface. But I think any transition, we've got to make LNG and nuclear part of it. We have to. And some of these new, um, these new kind of tiny, tiny micro reactors are incredibly intriguing. They're not what people think of Three Mile Island yeah. and those sorts of things. They're very small, compact, sealed, very safe. And the disposal is, you, you know, after whatever it is, 10 or 20 years, you pull the whole thing out of the ground and you ship it off. It's, it's, really fascinating and I think could be you know part of the answer so um do you think that uh uh Alaska needs to be looking into renewables outside of that I mean renewables is kind of this you know for a lot of conservatives it's kind of like this ugh, you know makes them kind of throw up in their mouth a little bit but do you think there's a real you know stopgap in five years where if we don't find a solution we're going to have you know rolling outages or something like that do you think it's that important or do you think it's just you know um well i think it's important to diversify i mean some some renewables have promise some are boondoggles it's like with anything some are you know very very efficient some you know if the energy costs 10 times as much you're not going to get there um but i do think you know solar some other things are really moving in that direction but you know i those you know most renewables have that the, the problem of the the availability issue you know solar while the sun's up great sun goes down wind is the same it's a great add-on it's a great diversification of the grid but you can't rely on it solely at least not here but i think you know the heartbreaking thing would be you know at some point you know we don't renew leases or something and we're shipping lng in you know oh, yeah. we, that would just we turn be... mckiskey into an import terminal i mean That'll break my heart if we, yeah. you know, we have more energy than anywhere on earth and we're bringing it in. So I'm in favor of diversifying, but not just for the environmental impacts, which are important, but yeah. also for the fact of the, the, the more diverse our grid, the more secure we are as a matter of, you know, national and state security. So let's talk a little bit about Anchorage. Um, uh, what do you think, you know, for folks that live in Anchorage, you're very well aware of the elections that just happened for folks that don't live in Anchorage. Um, you know, uh, the, I know it's nonpartisan, but the, um, I think it is, but the Democrats kind of cleaned house in Anchorage, essentially. Uh, what do you think that says about Anchorage, Scott? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's important to look at, um, you know, what kind of Democrats and, and then there's people like, um, you know, Zach Johnson down on the South side. I'm not sure if he's a Democrat. Um, I saw him get criticized by both sides. Yeah. I saw a bunch of pro progressives pile onto him because they're like, do you know, he used to be a trooper. And I'm like, well, good. You know, thank you for being, a, you know, thank you for your service. So it's it's not so much, you know, there was a center to maybe a little bit of a center left skew in these results. But the big takeaway I had was when you looked at the rhetoric around the candidates and so forth, I think the voters were saying, make Anchorage boring again. We've had enough. You know, we had we had COVID, which was hard on both sides of the spectrum. Then we've gone into make Anchorage boring again. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we've got an administration that's tried to pull us, you know, 180 degrees in the other direction of the prior. You know, I think he took it as a mandate to go completely the other direction. And the public has said, you know what, we really care about 
plowing, potholes, schools. So I think it really is sort of this return to the mean. It's almost a pendulum swing hard to the middle, in my mind. Dave Donnelly, though, pulling out a victory. He's he's always good for a victory in Anchorage. <laughs> well, you know, I think he's seen as, um, yeah, because, you know, a lot of people have to vote for him and Holloman, right? They both yeah. win and they win big. And I think it's, he's been there. He's He's consistent. He's experienced. Even if people don't agree with him on a lot of stuff, I think he tends not to be super inflammatory. So there's there's a tonal aspect to all this as well. So what do you think in what do you think happens in three years? Um you give us your prediction for um who you think is gonna run run for governor in three years. Oh geez, if I knew that I would uh <laughs> you'd be a rich man, money, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you know, there there's some talk, of course, of just kind of the natural that that Lieutenant Governor Dahlstrom will step up and run. I don't know if she has interest in that or not. I but I do think there is something um I think there's a little bit of a, a changing of the guard. I think people might want to see some new people. I mean, and and that I say that regardless of politics. Um, some people might want to see, because when you go even 40 and down, mid-40s and down, um, there's a lot more, I guess, cross-pollination of friend groups, that sort of thing. I think there is this this sort of desire, not for nonpartisanship, but just a desire for people who approach things a bit less divisively. So we just might see some new blood. I'd love to see something. I'd love to see, you know, a rural candidate, a candidate from Fairbanks, um, Alaska Native candidate. I'd love to see something that we haven't seen before. So what do you what do you give in this year for um, the Alaska House and the Alaska Senate a grade A to F? And uh, what's your reasoning? <laughs> Well, well, I'll start with a dodge, but then I'll get into it because I think the grade's incomplete at this point. I think you've seen some really cool stuff. I think the freshman caucus, some of the things they pushed through relatively efficiently, um, you know, kudos, for example, to the governor and the Senate. I mean, pushing through this 12 months or uh, this prenatal care for Medicaid expansion, huge deal. I mean, people, oh, that's not that big a deal. I mean, these are lives because um, we have the highest... Um, mortality rates yeah. uh, for both babies and mothers. We have some of the highest, and this is going to be a leap forward. So, you know, in, in spots, I see these great bright spots. I see the, the freshman caucus working together. And then you take a step back and you see, you know, people want their schools to work. They want some big things moved. They want a fiscal plan. And quite honestly, you know, the legislature's over here, you know, going into our 1 million of testimony on HB 105 and that divisive stuff. And I really think it's taking the air out. You know, there's, I had a comment to, to me the other day, what happened to the governor's carbon bills? Those seemed interesting. You know, people across the spectrum were interested. Well, he put his political capital behind this very divisive thing. And now there we are. So, you know, I'll, I'll say B minus, you know, we'll see B after the end game. Let's, co let's, let's come back in, in a few weeks and see if they actually got this thing buttoned up. But it, what's frustrating is it's like seeing an athlete that has all this potential, but just keeps striking out like this legislature, the way it's composed, they could really do some great things. But the the bright, shiny objects distracting everyone are not helpful. Yeah, I think that those two carbon bills are very fascinating from the governor's office. And man, e even if, um, you know, they they pan out just a little bit, you know, the numbers that are coming out of the governor's are huge. They're in the billions of dollars. But even if they panned out in the hundreds of millions of dollars, 
man, that's going to be a, a game changer long-term for Alaska. Yeah. And it's different, you know, it's a creative, different idea, which I appreciate, but there's, you know, as you probably know from following things, there's only so much oxygen in that building. So, you know, you can't, you can't move three heavy rocks in one session. You got to pick. So it's, I think it's a shame, but you know, maybe they get, you know, the fever breaks and they come back uh, next year and to get a couple of these cool things over the line. So last question is this, Scott, um, what do you think the chances of repealing ranked choice voting are sitting from the perspective of the guy that, uh, you know, helped champion it in, help, help it to get on the ballot, helped it to win, helping it to stay here. I'm somebody who's not a, not a huge fan of ranked choice voting, but t tell us your thoughts on, do you think it's got a chance to, to be repealed or not? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a phenomenon, and um, I think it's a real one, that ranked choice voting, RCV, has become kind of a partisan, dirty word. But, you know, I've seen some of the numbers that when you talk about the whole system, you talk about the concept of this open primary and having every race be competitive, um, it it's, appears to remain very, very popular. So I think if people pierce past the rhetoric of just, you know, RCV is bad and think about the whole system... I think the chances for it being upheld are very, very strong because people understood it, seemed to like it. Um, but the real, you know, the the game changer, of course, is the open primary. You know, Mary Peltola didn't win because of ranked choice voting. She led at every stage of the election. She won in large part because she was a moderate Democrat who never would have won a closed Democratic primary. And, you know, she was a, a palatable Democrat statewide, which isn't something the state had seen and. I think it's fair to say quite some time. Do you think um, you think anybody has a shot beating her? I think I feel like once you know somebody like her is in, it's going to be so hard to uh, beat an incumbent like her, who's you know becoming a fundraising machine. Um, do you think anybody's got a chance to even try to knock her off the pedestal? Yeah, I mean, the answer is it depends. I mean, always, you know, it's, it's um, you know, I used to box and they always say matchups make fights. You know, there was always, no matter how good a fighter was, there's always one fighter who's got their number. So a lot's going to depend on who runs against her. I and mean, I think we've seen her versus, you know, Sarah Palin and Nick Begich. I think if it, those two were in or either one of those two, I think I've got no reason to think you get a different result. Yeah. Now, that being said, she's in there. She's part of the Democratic minority. And she has to answer for every vote. So, um, you know, from what I've seen from her, very positive. I mean, I think um, keeping Congressman Young's chief of staff was smart, not only politically smart, but the way she's able, been able to hit the ground running and get things done. Having Josh Revac here in state, great guy. The guy is a constituent services machine. That's, you know, that was one of Don Young's great strengths, you know. He would his staff would get things done for hundreds of Alaskans. Those hundreds of Alaskans had thousands of friends and it mattered. I knew plenty of Democrats who voted Don Young every time because 15 years ago, you know, he helped them out with some tricky clean water yeah. issue or something. So he was I such a she, special guy, Don Young. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she's going to have to stick with it. I mean, incumbency has its advantages, but it you know, there's probably a candidate out there that could beat her, but they're going to have to. If they're going to beat her, they're going to have to meet her in the middle and debate those issues. You're not going to be over and throw, you know, sort of partisan shots from the far right and be able to beat a candidate like this. 
Yeah, Don Young is um, my one of my favorite memories on Don Young. Everybody's got their Don Young stories. I was I went I was in D.C. visited him in his office, and you know he's busy as all heck. And I'm sitting with him in his office, and he's telling me stories, and we're having a heck of a time. And and one of his assistants come in comes in and says, you know, Don, you got a meeting with you know so and so chairman of the so and so committee, blah blah blah. He then he goes. I got John Quick here. He's in a, he's from Alaska. Hold all my appointments. We got somebody from Alaska here. You know, just that's who he was. He's just such a cool guy. He made you feel like a million bucks. Uh, and he probably made everybody feel like that. Yeah. I mean, he did, um, you know, so many things for so many people and not because they were a donor. I mean, for all his rhetoric, I think he got away with something. His rhetoric would be pretty sharp sometimes but he was such a kind man, um, had empathy. I mean, he said things that offended me. I'll be perfectly honest. He said things from time to time. I'm like, Don, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but then I saw what he did. Like I saw what he did for um, dental health in rural Alaska. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my good friend Val Davidson tells a story about going into his office and saying, we're about to lose all this. We're going to lose dental care for, you know, in all of rural Alaska. He has someone run down the hall. They come back. He sticks some language in some bill. Boom. What do you know? Um, this dental health aid thing gets <laughs> stuck boom, in some <laughs> And, you know, and Val has told me she goes to rural Alaska and she sees hundreds of kids and they have beautiful smiles with all their teeth. And she says, you know, that's Don Young to her. So it's a real, you know, he, his impact will kind of continue on. Whether you loved him or you hated him, he got stuff done. Yeah, he knew how to get stuff done. Well, Scott, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, we, we're 40 minutes in or 35 minutes in has gone by very fast. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully you'll come back on. You won't come back anytime. Uh, any last minute thoughts before we head off here? No, not at all. I, I really appreciate it. I'd love to come back, you know, post end of session and maybe we can do a postmortem. But um, always appreciate the time, appreciate the tone of the conversation where, you know, two people who maybe disagree on a couple things, but it's always a fun time. So I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. I always enjoy chatting with you and uh, uh, we'll have you on again. And for folks out there, Again, if you live on the Kenai Peninsula, check your email inbox, check your junk mailbox too, because HEA sent a um, a voter pamphlet to your inbox. It's got a couple of house cleaning um, kind of language uh, fixes in there. It's got one board uh, vote in there, and then it's got a do you like to vote online question in there. So make sure to check your inbox. And uh, folks, I hope everybody has a phenomenal weekend. I want to thank our sponsor of the show, uh, the University of Alaska. You can go check them out at empower.alaska.edu. I just really want to thank them for, for sponsoring the Must Read Alaska show. And we're going to have Pat Pitney, the president of the University of Alaska, on next week, which is very exciting. Um, so until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, John.